Hey listeners, quick question. Are you tired of overpaying for your mobile plan? I've got the answer. Ting Mobile. Ting Mobile is all about flexibility and savings. You only pay for what you use, no crazy fees or overages. It's perfect for those who want control over their phone bill without s- sacrificing quality. Say goodbye to bloated phone bills. Go to milwaukeemafia.com slash ting. Ting Mobile. Mobile that makes sense. You're listening to Milwaukee Mafia, your weekly podcast dose of Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history. Hey everybody, welcome back to Milwaukee Mafia. I'm Eric Waltergens. I'm Gavin Schmidt. Today's story is about Sid Brodson. All right. All right. <laughs> he's looking you at are not a th- enthused. <laughs> he he's looking at me with expectant eyes like I'm supposed to say something. Yeah, you're like, like, who's I don't that? Know. <laughs> who's that? I don't know. <laughs> Okay, let's talk about Sid. Born in Chicago, 1908. His father is first a butcher, then he's a tailor. He ran a grocery store for a while, so his dad did all kinds of things. But Sid, Sid was very successful. He wasn't going to be a tailor or a butcher or a grocery store owner or anything like that. Not that there's anything wrong with that. He was going to be a lawyer. So he went to school and he became a lawyer. Good on him. Yeah, good on him. Unfortunately, when he graduated law school, it was the Great Depression. Not a good time to graduate law school. Not a good time to graduate law school because never a bad time to be a lawyer, but when nobody can afford to hire a lawyer, business is not great. Yes. So he has uh, some time to kill and he decides to take up a hobby and that hobby is gambling. Not a good hobby to pick up, right? Usually, no. Oh, but for him, it is going to be a good hobby? Yes. (laughs) So Sid is very, very smart. And he figures out that he can win more often than not if he just researches enough. Because this is way back in the 1940s here. There's not a TV. There's not an internet. There's nothing like that. All you get to know what's going on is your local newspaper. That's all you get. But he comes up with this idea. He goes... What if I subscribe to 100 newspapers? Okay. And he does. So he does that. He gets an assistant to help him read the newspapers. And they take little notes because his main sport, he would do a couple of things, but mostly he would do college basketball. And so let's say the Badgers, Madison, are up against the Michigan Wolverines. Now, there's going to be a lot of coverage of the Badgers in the local newspaper, but there's not going to be a lot of coverage about the Wolverines. But if you get the Michigan newspaper, there is. So he would get an advantage over the local bookies because if somebody got injured, he might know before they knew because they're not going to know until like the game starts and the radio announcer's like, oh yeah, this guy's out with a bum ankle. He's going to know in advance because he's keeping up on all these different local coverage of the sports. Interesting. Yeah. It's actually pretty brilliant. So he ends up where he reaches the point where he's betting up to a million dollars a year. And he doesn't always win, but he wins often enough that he thinks that, you know, he's not 100% sure, but he thinks he's making about $80,000 a year. Which is a huge amount of money. Which is a huge amount of money money adjusted for inflation. That's (laughs) $851,000 a year. (laughs) I would not have gone that high. Yep. So he he is making, in today's money, more than three quarters of a million dollars a year. It's expensive. He's got to pay for the newspapers and his phone bill in those dollars was $15,000 a year. 
And what is the phone bills just calling the newspapers to somehow get them? No, this is another thing that he does. He knows the law. He's a lawyer and he knows the law. In gambling at this point in time, you can't gamble locally. If you go down to your local bookie and the police catch you doing it, you're going to get arrested. But if you cross, I think we discussed this in a previous episode. If you mm-hmm. cross state lines, it's fine, right? If you cross state lines, it's fine. Now, later on, it's very not fine. But, right. but at this point in the 40s and 50s, they hadn't made that a law yet. So when he's calling, he's calling people in Florida, Pennsylvania, Boston, Baltimore. He's calling all over the place. And the police can't do anything about it because it's not illegal for him to place a bet. And nobody in Milwaukee is accepting these bets. So there isn't really any gambling going on in Milwaukee. I mean, there is, but not with Sid. Mm -hmm. So they can't do anything about this. They know he's doing it. The police are well aware of exactly what he's doing. And he even talks to people and he tells them that. Um, He's interviewed in the newspaper at one point and he tells the newspaper that. Like, he's not shy about it because he knows he's not breaking any laws. So he's like, I found a way to gamble and you can't do anything about it. Well... He gets a little too bold. In 1951, there is a government committee called the Kefauver Committee. And they traveled around the country and they held these hearings in New York, Chicago, other big cities. They did not come to Milwaukee. But they heard about Sid and his gambling, and they're looking into different ways that the mob is making money, and gambling is a big one. So they're like, let's call in Sid. Sid will know what's up with that. Now, most of the guys that get called in are smart, and they say, I'm not going to testify. They come in with their attorney, and they plead the fifth. You have to come in. If you don't come in, you're held in contempt of Congress. Right. Yeah, and that's not good. But as long as you show up and you answer your name... Anything after that, you don't have to answer. Okay. Sid is not like that. Sid is like, I'll get up and testify. Yeah. Sid's <laughs> like, I'm not breaking any laws, so I'm, I'll gladly tell you what I'm doing. He goes in front of them, and he's like, yeah, so this is what I do, this, this, and this. And then he makes some claims that he probably shouldn't have said, like he actually names some of the people that he's placing bets with. Oh, and those people are not very happy about those, them, I'm going to guess. Those people are probably not happy because some of them, coincidentally, within the next 24 hours, now have the police knocking <laughs> on their door. <laughs> because, again, although this is not illegal to do it over the phone the way they were doing it, if you're outed as a bookie, you're going to get a lot more scrutiny, especially when you're outed on a national level. And I'm assuming that most bookies, probably having somebody from out of state call them like Sid was doing was Mm -hmm. probably really unusual. Most of their bookings were coming from local people, I would assume, right? Or were there... Generally, that's true. Were there bookies kind of operating in the realm of Sid where they would only take out-of-state bids so they knew they were protected from breaking the law? I would say both. Okay. Yes, by and large bookies are local. Mm -hmm. If you have a big enough bookie operation, you have what are called runners. And runners are sometimes are even kids. They'll go and they'll take people's bets and then they'll bring them back to the bookie and and it's all handled locally. But some of them do work over the phone nationally. And you have to do it to a point because there's what's called layoff betting. I think we've talked about that before. But layoff betting is like if a bookie Again, this is the example I usually use. If a bookie operating in Green Bay is taking bets on the Green Bay Bears game, the Packers-Bears game, now pretty much the majority of Green Bay is going to bet on Green Bay. 
mm-hmm. regardless of what the odds are. Right. Because that's just how people are. So to hedge his bet, he has to take bids from Chicago right. to so that if the Packers lose, he doesn't lose all his right. money, Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No matter what the odds are, it doesn't make any difference. You can't have everybody betting on the same side because you have to pay these people. <laughs> yeah. So that's part of the deal is you do have to have these other guys that you make bets with or get people to make bets from far away. Usually you just have a guy you exchange with, like a guy in, not that there's a lot of bookies in Green Bay, but you know, if you were in Green Bay, you'd have a friend in Chicago and you'd kind of trade Trade your numbers off. Just to make sure that you're covered if something unexpected happens or whatever. Right. Can you, and I think you probably explained this in another episode, but just in case anybody didn't listen, Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that... At this point in time, it's illegal locally to gamble, but it's mm-hmm. not federally. Is that just because the federal government ha- would have to be the one to make it illegal across state lines? Right. Is that how that works? Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, okay. something doesn't become a federal law until Congress makes it a law. Okay. And up to this point, they hadn't really made gambling a federal issue. It's just strange to me that like, if in Illinois gambling is legal and in Wisconsin gambling is legal, mm-hmm. and you place a bet from Wisconsin to Illinois. Mm-hmm. To me, it should still be illegal. But it, because that federal right. component is not there... It, it There's tech- no federal component yet until there is a federal law. Whose jurisdiction are you breaking the law in, you know? I would just think that, like, Wisconsin and Chicago would be like, you take it. Or they would have, like, an arrangement where it's where the bookie took the bet. So if your bookie's in Chicago, you would go fall to Chicago. If it was in Wisconsin, it would fall right. to Wisconsin. But. And to some degree, that's probably true. true. But in this particular case, I mean... Sid Brodson was not a bookie. He wasn't taking any bets. He was just gambling. So even if if you could get a bookie who was taking bets from out of state, which, I mean, I presume that some places would try to enforce that, you couldn't get Sid for that because he wasn't he was taking, taking bets. bets. Yeah. So he's testified before Congress, and he named some names that probably he shouldn't have, but he did. And then he explains how they're able to get certain odds in their favor. He goes, let me tell you how this works if you are friends with some mob guys. (laughs) He's like, what you do when you're dealing with college sports is you can get college guys to throw games really easily. And he goes, so what you do is you find out what the point spread is on a game. And if the point spread is six points, let's say, he goes, and there's a team that's favored to win. You go to that team, you go to one of the star players on the team, and you offer him like a thousand bucks, two thousand bucks. Not a huge amount, but enough to influence him. And you tell him, you say, you don't have to lose the game. You can still win your game. Just Just miss a shot or two. Yeah, just only lose it by six points. Right. So that spread is covered or whatever. Right. Yeah. And this is something that has happened multiple times that people have been caught for doing. So he explains that to them, and he ends up saying that he knows some of the referees who are are kind of getting paid off and like i mean he's just talking like i don't know what got into him that day but he's just talking and i'm gonna guess inevitably this person gets killed he doesn't he doesn't sid will never be killed okay amazingly which i don't understand he seems like the kind of guy who would be but he never does He's testifying, and he says how his wife doesn't really like his gambling, but, you know, eh, whatever. And then he makes certain comments because they ask him. They say, like, well, what should we do about this gambling problem? And he says, obviously, the American people want to gamble. And you can search this room to find three people who have never gambled. And would you call the rest of the people gamblers? It is my firm conviction that legalization is the only solution. 
And not to insert my own opinion here, but I think he was kind of right. I mean, how do you make gambling illegal? Obviously, they do. <laughs> but you can't stop people from gambling. No, it really has never stopped. Right. I mean, and at this point, it, it is silly that it, it's even still a thing. Well, yeah, it's and they don't they don't really enforce it anymore. No, they don't, but it still lingers out there, you yeah. know, like... Which is just strange. But I do find it amusing that for much of, like, the mob's history in the 1900s, the 20th century, gambling is, like, always considered the backbone. Like, that's their big moneymaker. And the reason it's their big moneymaker is because it's illegal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you legalize it, it... You could have shut the whole mafia yeah. thing right then and there. Right. But I, you got to figure I mean, not that. completely, because then they'll get into it in another yeah. way. But you're not going to stop people from gambling. People like to gamble. Mm-hmm. So this sort of launches some investigations. The Big Ten launches an investigation trying to find uh, who these referees are that are apparently you <laughs> throwing know, games. Throwing and- games. <laughs> so they talk to him and... They talk to Sid and they try to get some information out of him. Nothing ends up coming of that, but they do look into it. But Sid does get uh, a little bit of a trouble for this. Doesn't get threats, as far as I know. That Nobody kills him. But when he testifies in front of Congress, even though he didn't break any laws, there's some other group that isn't too happy with him. Obviously, the mafia. Not the mafia. Not the mafia. Can you guess? Uh... I don't know, like some gambling guild or something? Not a gambling guild. That's an interesting (laughs) thing. No, the IRS. Oh, because he was not reporting his winnings? Right. Okay. So the IRS, they say, okay, you're not breaking any gambling laws, but if you really are making (laughs) $80,000 a year like you just testified to Congress (laughs) under oath, that doesn't match what we have on file. (laughs) They come back to him, and they they run the numbers, and they tell him that he owes $343,000 in back taxes. And this not for inflation. That's in the 50s. So uh, that's a lot of money. And then... Shortly after that, the state also says that he owes $40,000, and they give him two weeks to pay it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, so two weeks is, is hard, so he has some trouble with that. They end up putting a freeze on his accounts, and they put a lien on his property, and they do all these things to try to get the money out of him. I'm going to guess they never do, <laughs> because that's quite a sum of money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he's got this going on. And then on top of all this, they then come back a little later. It it takes them like another year, but they're not getting their money out of him fast enough. So they go from trying to get him to pay it to actually charging him with the tax evasion. So now he's got all these charges of hundreds of thousands of dollars in tax evasion (laughs) against him, which he goes to court for. And the first time he goes to court, he actually gets it tossed out because he makes the claim that even though he himself is an attorney, he cannot hire an attorney to defend him because they have frozen all of his assets. (laughs) So he's like, how can I hire an attorney if you guys just took all my money? And the judge actually agreed with him on that. The judge is like, you're right. They shouldn't have been able to freeze that until after you lost in court, Mm -hmm. because otherwise, how do you defend against it if you have no money? So they agreed. However, the government appealed that. They said, no, 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 no. We're not letting this go that easy. They appealed it. The appellate court agreed with the government, and they said, no, you can charge him. You can go to trial. This is perfectly fine. If he can't pay for an attorney, that's his own problem. So he does end up actually going to trial. 
and he ends up pleading guilty in exchange for some of the charges getting dropped. Some of the years, because each year is a different charge. Some of the years get dropped. And he ends up getting 18 months in prison and a $10,000 fine. Well, I mean, that sure as hell beats paying $300,000 to the government. Yeah. Probably so, should have just paid his taxes from the get-go, though. Yeah. Would have made it a lot. So he ends up in some trouble. And he gets sent to Indiana Federal Prison to serve his time. While he's there, the state strips him of his law license. They say, no, nah, no, no, no. Can't be an attorney anymore. We don't want an attorney who's gambling and not paying his taxes. So they take his license away. Which actually, there's a number of newspapers in Madison and other cities that write editorials saying that it's unfair that he's getting his license stripped. And then they list off a bunch of other attorneys who got caught doing worse things and still have their licenses. <laughs> and they're like, in the grand scheme of things, not paying your taxes is pretty minor. But, you know, regardless, he ends up getting his, his license revoked. And that's still a debate today. I mean, I don't know that anybody who listens to this actually follows that. But attorneys get their licenses suspended or taken away all the time mm -hmm. and there really there is no consistency whatsoever for, for the reason for like, the reasons like yeah. so you never know if you if you get in trouble for anything it's like well are they going to take my license away or yeah. are they not there's because no firm set of guidelines you could get probation you could get suspended for a year you could get it taken away completely you don't know so, and you never really touched on this, but I'm gathering from what you're saying now, he did eventually go into law too. So he was gambling and being a lawyer at the same time. No, it was never actually, I mean, he had a law license. license so they were just... But he never used it. He might have used it in the beginning, but because it wasn't profitable, he turned to gambling and then gambling okay. became a so, full-time So plan. he did do gambling. And I wonder if nobody ever really went after him for his testimony. I mean, how fast did the, all this happen with the IRS? Did very, you know, very fast. I like, mean, like they immediately months. charged him, you yeah. know, pretty much. So maybe they just said, well, he got what he had coming to him because he's lost everything. So nobody really ever, you know. Yeah. Well, and so the weird thing is, this is like part one, and maybe someday we'll do a part two. I, I mean, it's much later down the timeline, so I didn't include it here. But he doesn't stop gambling. Oh, really? <laughs> no. He gets out, and he's up through the 60s and 70s. He's still doing it. Well, and he should, because well, why not? Yeah. I mean, he wasn't didn't get in trouble for gambling. He uh, he just got right. in trouble for not paying his taxes. Right, but so, he will get in trouble for gambling later. Would you like to know my lesson learned from this episode? What's your lesson learned? Never voluntarily go <laughs> up and testify in front of Congress for anything. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, what a shame. Granted, I'm not I gotta say that this guy was innocent of anything, but he did literally do nothing wrong. He did the government a favor by coming up and telling them what he knew about what he all this stuff. Right. And what do they do? They basically just destroy his life. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's a fair point. It's it's kind of a very sad story, and it is not a very generous thing of our government to have done. You know, no. like like somebody should have stepped in there and said, "Hey, look, this guy kind of did us a favor." You know, let's just kind of look the other way at the whole That's tax true. law. That's true. Thing. I'm going to take that and I'm going to go the other way on that. Okay. And I'm going to say, I'm going to say this is Sid's fault because he was an attorney. He had a law license. And I'll tell you this, when you have a law license, when you go to law school, one of the very first things they ever teach you is don't confess to things, don't talk to the police, <laughs> don't, don't talk to the courts, don't talk to people. So he was trained to not, not go and tell things. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're very right. He should have known better that he shouldn't have gone up there yeah. and did that. But at the same time, it just uh, it, it's just kind of very shady. Yeah, no, it abs- it absolutely is. They they nailed him for being helpful, but <laughs> exactly. But yeah, why he felt the need to give out names and numbers of all these things, I don't know. It's a bad move on his part. Eh, he was probably just a talker, and he got up there and just started rolling, and yeah, he, he probably got done, and he's like. Yeah, I probably shouldn't. Have said yeah, that. everything I did. <laughs> it's actually funny if someone is like really interested. You can search online for Sid Brodson and the Kefauver Committee. All the Kefauver Committee transcripts are online. They're public. You can find them in Google Books if you can't find them anywhere else. And some of it's really funny. Some of the back and forth between them. There's things that I think are really amusing. Like one of the gamblers or bookies that he talks about is a guy whose nickname is No Legs. <laughs> and then he goes on to explain. He goes, coincidentally, he has no legs. <laughs> and, and I thought that was really funny that like he had to explain why this guy's nickname was No Legs. That's fantastic. Yeah. Oh. All right. So do you got more? To, is that the end of the story? That's the end of the story for now. Like I say, he will come back later because he does keep gambling. And unfortunately for him, in the 60s, it does become illegal to gamble but he across continu- state lines. continuing to do it. Yeah. So his method is no longer going to work for him once the laws but, change. But he's still making so much money that he's probably willing to, to risk it, right? Apparently so, because he continues doing the same thing and getting all the newspapers and everything else. He's pretty consistent. Going to prison doesn't stop him. One more question I had, and you, I might have just missed this earlier in the episode. Sure. But you talked about he was born in Chicago. Yeah. Did you ever explain how he ended up in Wisconsin? Hmm, that's a good question. I don't know if you, if there was a specific reason. He came up for school. He went to UW. Yeah. Went to the UW for school. And maybe that's what got him Man, to settle he must have just settled in Milwaukee. Because was he from Milwaukee, I assume? Yeah, he's, some, a, he's somewhere, a Milwaukee guy. Somewhere in the Milwaukee area. Yeah, he's a Milwaukee guy. But, like, yeah, I don't know if his family moved with him or if he just stayed in Milwaukee after he went to school. Cool. I, don't, I don't really know that answer. Okay. Okay, I just want wanted clarification on that. Yeah. So. All right, well, I think we wrap this one up. As always, if you like this podcast, subscribe to the Patreon. Mm-hmm. Leave us feedback on your favorite podcast player. And Gavin, if you want to hit them with your contact info. Sure, you can email uh, milwaukeemafia at gmail.com, or you can just go to milwaukeemafia.com and... Check out what's going on there. Adding new things all the time, including podcast episode notes. So by the time you hear this, my notes will already be online. So you can read all the stuff that I kind of skimmed over. Super. And everybody should go check out MilwaukeeMafia.com because being the guy that originally created the website, I can tell you that it is far <laughs> superior to the what, the what it was originally. So if you went on there like three, four months ago, you should definitely go back there because it's actually a really good website now. It is a so. Pretty good website. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we will be back next week with the new Patreon and in two weeks with a, another Milwaukee Mafia podcast. And Yeah, I'll even tell them what the next one is. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Ne- it's going it. to be Blackie the Sieve. Blackie? What's a sieve? It's like a pan with holes in it when you like shake sand through it to find things in the sand. Okay. And there's a guy that was a sieve? Yeah. All right. Everybody, it, maybe everybody gets that, but I guess I I might be the only one that lives in suspense for that story next week. It's a very good story. So, all right. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and we'll be back in two weeks or one week if you're subscribed to the Patreon. All right. Thank you very much. 
Thanks for tuning in to the Milwaukee Mafia podcast. Join us next week for another look back at Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history.